I mean, yeah, the players also have a lot of impact, right? If they, if they decided to strike, things would be changed instantly, you know, especially, you know, with the gambling industry and all this stuff going on. Like, you know, yeah, they, they have a lot of value, I'd say. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we speak to former Northwestern University quarterback Kane Coulter, who in 2014 turned college football on its ear when he attempted to organize the Northwestern football team into a union. Also, I've got some choice words about the Super Bowl halftime show and the artistic picket line that's developing around the stage. I've also got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down awards and more. But first, let's go to the man himself, Kane Coulter. So first and foremost, man, Kane, I mean, this is your first podcast interview? That, that surprises me. Have people asked you in the past to be on their pods? No, no, I'm a big fan of podcasts now, though. I think it's it's a huge part of this whole, I guess, social media culture that we have going on right now. So in some ways, I think it's kind of, you know, I, I think as a young kid growing up, I always saw the, the people that were super interested in, like, the talk radio. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think I was, I don't know, I was just so into music at that time that I, I, I couldn't stand it. But now, uh, you know, I, I think as I'm getting older, I, I see that, that you value, and I think talk, uh, the podcast really taken over. Yeah, what, what was more your passion as you were a teenager? Was it music or football? Oh, as a teenager, oh, it was definitely yeah. it was definitely football. But you know, entertainment, entertainment's big, right? We all we all like to be entertained. So. Amusing ourselves to death, as the expression goes. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't, but, you know, whatever. I don't. Not to get deep. Yeah, it it, it all has value, right? I'm re- I'm actually really surprised no one's. Um, ask you to be on their pods because i think you're you're like an invaluable primary source of knowledge for so much about the ncaa and the way it operates and the way it deals with revenue producing sports and i guess what i wanted to ask you first and foremost is like when you just you know when you put your feet up when you think back about that experience that you had in 2014 when it was you know kane coulter versus goliath basically I mean, what do you remember? What pops the most visibly in your mind when you look back? Oh, I mean, it, it's not, it wasn't the Kane Coulter thing. I mean, I think that that's the unfortunate thing when people look back. I don't want this whole movement to be associated with, like, what what Kane did. I mean, it was my teammates. I mean, it was, a, it, was a, mm-hmm. it was this idea of collective action, you know. I think that, you know, it, and a lot of it comes down to power dynamics. You know, if we really want to be able to change things in college sports, I know a lot of people have been talking about what's going on for, you know, decades now. And, and um, I think that ultimately it's going to have to come down to collective action and organizing. And I think that, um, you know, our efforts to organize the, the football players, just start, I mean, just starting with the football players at Northwestern, uh, I think it was important because it, it shows that, uh, if you do have, you know, collective action, you, you can make changes very quickly, and, and you do have a lot of power in that. Um, not even just at Northwestern. I think also, we, you know, we, we saw that with the, the football players at Missouri. Um, mm-hmm. it, I, I think it might have started off with the the the, the athletes, the, the the black athletes on on the football team. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, that type of collective action and protest was different than, than what we were, the, the things that we were trying to address in, in, in ways. But I think it, it went to show that those athletes had power. I think, you know, the, I think it was some graduate students or some students at the university have been um, performing hu- hunger strikes to protest uh, some racial injustice ha- happening on the campus. And once the football player said, "All right, well, we're not gonna we're not gonna play until you, you know, take this issue on," you know, that's when some st- changes started to be made. I think the you know the president of the university was fired in like 24 hours. So, I think that that shows some some power that the, that the athletes have if they do, you know, want to come together collectively. When when you attempted to come 
together collectively at Northwestern. Would you describe it as the case that it was like a common sense thing that the players all said, yeah, this is something we need to do? Or were there like organizing meetings, discussions, debates, people's minds being changed? What was the interpolitical dynamic on the squad? The NCAA has this, you know, they've been practicing their rhetoric for a long time, right? Why we call them student athletes, why they're not employees. And so they have that down. And and in some ways we've been conditioned and indoctrinated to kind of think of of things that way. So I think, but deep down, we all knew, we all know what it was, you know, like you you can't go out and and play at these like amazing stadiums in front of hundreds of thousands of people with all these corporate sponsors, (laughs) I guess, competing for advertising dollars to, you know, you you can't say that this is just act. This is just the amateurism, you know. And I, I think that that's ultimately what it comes down to is, is they want to keep this this myth of amateurism alive. Um, meanwhile, you know, the athletes, I guess, the, the labor in this industry are trying to come together and say, like, look, this isn't just amateurism. It's not just for the love of the game anymore, or whatever this word means now to people. You know, definitions are so tough, but you know, yeah. However, they define amateurism, I guess. And trying to overcome that and get the athletes to kind of, you know, see the model differently. The collegiate sport industry model. Now, the story always was that um, you and I, I think you and some teammates were, were taking a sports labor, or not a sports, but a labor law class. And no. like heard your professors. Was was that it? I mean, because I mean, there are all these like stories. <laughs> well, about, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. So I was taking this class. Um, I think it was during summer of my of 2013. It was my junior year going into senior year, and I was taking this class. It was a class. Um, so I, it was actually a internship program uh, given by the I'm trying to remember the the School of Arts and Sciences at Northwestern University. And so, so yeah, you have to take a, a class uh, in conjunction with the internship you're doing. So. <laughs> Oddly enough, I was doing an internship at Goldman Sachs, and I was also taking a history on, I mean, a class on the history of the modern workplace. And, um, yeah, I think that, like, at that time in my life, uh, while, while taking that class, I was starting to, you know, view things differently. I'd been a part of the NCAA for three years. Um, I think everybody kind of knew things that, you know, needed to change. A lot of stuff was messed up. But I think that that helped that that class helped me give help give me a framework to see things and 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 to, to try and understand my experience, um, you know, growing up and in sports and, and kind of what it meant and how it fitted it how it fit into a, a a broader picture of the world if that makes sense. So um, that was the first time I was introduced yeah, I mean, to Marx, <laughs> honestly. You know, I read, read his... Because you were interning at Goldman Sachs. It was the first time you were introduced to Marx through an internship. Well, obviously, Sachs. you know, that, great, you know Goldman Sachs wouldn't, they they wouldn't give me a... <laughs> they wouldn't introduce us to Marx. I don't think. <laughs> well, I don't know, maybe. Maybe they... I'm sure they all are familiar with him. Yeah. Their, 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 uh, their handbook on what to oppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Story. I was literally, you know, I was at my... Um, internship googling <laughs> uh, you know what college athletes would new, need to do to get employee status and you know looking up other organizations that were representing college athletes and, and that's kind of how everything still got got started I guess with this, this whole effort for college athletes to be designated yeah. as employees as you were uh, doing that googling at, at, and, and doing all of that like did, did you ever think for a second the amount of uproar it would cause when you actually tried to do it? Was that something you foresaw? At the time, no. I mean, I was, I was pretty naive and, and I, I mean, it's, it seemed as I dug deeper into the issues, it seemed like so commonsensical that, that college athletes were employees. Like give it, you know, I know there's a lot of opinions, you know, this isn't work. It's not valuable, you know, Bread and circuses, da, 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 da. like it's not work. They're playing a the game. They get a free scholarship, and you know I, a lot of the students have to take out student loans. They're so ungrateful. Like at, at the end of the day, I understand there's a lot of opinions, but like the law says something about like what 
is you know what what is the criteria for somebody to be designated uh, as a statutory employee right and as as i saw those things i was like oh this is easy you know like they're they're definitely employees um so i i don't think like the the argument was that hard it was just kind of like you know the, the task of actually being able to organize the players and get them to see themselves in that way or get get my teammates you know so Mm. And I mean, but did did you foresee like the um, the avalanche of opposition? I guess I'd say, like at the university level, at the at the state level, at the political level, at the NCAA level. Well, no, I mean, I, mean, I didn't know how how deep the college sports industry, <laughs> how deep the tentacles reach, so to speak. Um, I, I honestly thought at the time that it could be a recruiting advantage for the team. Right. Like, I think I thought, it, yeah, I thought it was so commonsensical that, yeah, if they're employees, you know, it, it's going to be, you know, most people understand what it is. Like, I think our coach sometimes that during practice would like, he, I mean, he'd let us know that this is a full time job. I remember breaking down like our huddles, you know, it was like work on three. So it's like, you know, yeah, getting them to see that it's work. <laughs> that's the easy part. But, you know, <sighs> getting yeah getting the athletic department to actually go with it and you know the other powers within the school the the alumni base um you know yeah whatever the ncaa the lobbyists you know whoever else is in there i I don't know how deep this goes but yeah to get them to to want to recognize it for what it is i don't know that's that's the harder yeah. battle, but yeah, for for Northwestern individually, I, I thought that there was a chance for like the university to see, yeah, this could be a recruiting advantage for for you know Fitzgerald or for for our coach to at the time go into you know players' living rooms and tell them like, yeah, you, you have a true voice, right? Democracy, democracy in the workplace, you know, we <laughs> we actually have a true voice in what's going on and and you know it, these conversations about real issues, you know, work, I mean, uh, yeah, workers' compensation at, at some point would probably come up with like health coverage, um, you know, reducing contact and practices, uh, you know, all these, all these things that I think are, are important and worthy of having, you know, the players input, uh, you know, I, I think that I thought that that would be a recruiting advantage for the coach at the time. That of course wasn't coach Fitzgerald's response. Uh, were you surprised when it wasn't received that way as like, Hey, this could be a recruitment advantage. And what was your, how did, well, I mean, initially, how did that like he was, I mean, so it, it was tough because we had to keep a lot of the organizing efforts, uh, underground at first. You know, mm-hmm. I think I realized that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like he is probably a beneficiary of the current system. Right. So he doesn't want, he doesn't necessarily want the chat, the the status quo to change. I think he is probably the high, he's probably the highest paid person at the university. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Like, the, oh yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, on pay, yeah, on paper, like who knows? You know how else other people get paid? I know, like in our case, a lot of stuff came out with like, you know non-interest loans and all this stuff. So yeah, whatever the compensation structure is, you know, he's probably the highest paid person at the university. So he probably doesn't want things to change. Um, you know, I probably should have realized that and, <laughs> um, figured that out. But initially, you know, I, I, I realized that we probably had to keep a, a lot of the initial conversations about the organizing effort under wraps and, um, just kind of keep it to, it started off with just a core group of guys. Um, and then eventually, you know, spread out to other tiers within the school or within the, the, the football program uh, to try and to try and organize them. So at first, you know, wow. we had to keep it under wraps and we couldn't just take it to the coach. And, and, and once he found out, um, I wouldn't say he was totally against it, but uh, I don't know. It's interesting, right? You know, he, he yeah. Who, who, who's really calling the shots? You know, if it's the president comes down against you, it's the board, you know, whoever. Yeah. I guess whoever's overseeing your, your university, right? The alumni, the, I don't know. I don't know who, who's calling the, calling the shots, you know, 
but there are shot callers in the shadows. To go through the union bashing campaign? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But, you know, I, I think, you know, Coach Fitz was, you know, he was a, a college athlete at one time, and I'm sure that, you know, he was, I forget the award he won, but he was like the best defensive player in the in the country at the time. And so uh, I, I'm sure he values his time and, and like the work that he put in as a player and and mm-hmm. what what that means to the institution. So I'm I'm sure he he values that. Have you remained in touch with with Coach Fitz? Uh, sometimes, yeah. He'll text me every now and then. We haven't really sat down and talked since the since the the whole effort. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's been a while. I went to, I went to go see their new football facilities last year. Uh, they built, I think they built some. It was like a three hundred million dollar uh, athletic facility right on Lake Michigan. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. The practice facility. You look out to Lake Michigan. It's like all glass. You see the Chicago skyline. Um, yeah, the, and yet your labor a, somehow doesn't create value. Well, I mean, it's what they say, right? You know, no, it's, it's the brand. It's the brand of the university, is what they say. It's not the the athletes. You know, winning doesn't matter. It's you know, it's it's the brand of the university that that brings all the value. I think is what they is the argument. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's an it's a nice to say. He wasn't. Oh yeah, back to the point. He wasn't there when I went to go when I took a tour of the facility um mm-hmm. but i'm hoping to get back there one day and you know I, i'd like to sit down with them and just talk about things see how everyone's doing yeah so i mean t- taking it outside of northwestern i want to know what, what what's your vision for how the system should operate i mean should you think players should have employee status you think players oh, should be gosh. collectively organized in a union like if you could, if you could wave your magic wand, what would be your vision for labor uh, management relations in revenue-producing sports? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, I'm not going to be the one that decides this, right? It's probably going to be the, I guess, probably the judges and the lawyers. Um, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, the players also have a lot of impact, right? If they, if they decided to strike, things would be changed instantly, you know, especially, you know, with the gambling industry and all this stuff going on. Like, you know, yeah, they they have a lot of value, I'd say. So, but, you know, ultimately, like, this multi-billion dollar sporting, sports entertainment industry tied to our institutions of higher learning i don't know i don't know how to fix that and what what people ultimately want i don't think a lot of people are happy that the football or basketball coach is like the highest paid employee at these institutions mm-hmm. um, but or or in, in I mean, most cases the highest paid in the state the state yeah, at the, the state. public at the public level the state yeah, yeah yeah at the public level yeah yeah so i mean yeah they, they I don't know what's <laughs> how do they fix that? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think college athletes definitely should be employees um, given the current laws and what it means to be an employee. I think, you know, we, 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 we proved that in court and um, to the NRB and there, there hasn't been a ruling against it. Uh, I know that the, the full board in Washington, DC decided not to, exert jurisdiction but yeah i think that they're employees and that they're entitled to entitled to labor rights which which includes the right to organize right yeah well yeah yeah right first amendment right i think that's part of it (laughs) yeah so i i personally believe that um one part of reforming college sports would be to just you know figuratively of course burn the ncaa to the ground and get it the hell out of there. Um, your, your thoughts on the figurative burning of the NCAA to the ground? Yeah, I mean, oh, how did it start, though? Like, it, it was the president, right? Well, I mean, it, it started originally because of all the football players at wealthy Ivy League schools who were dying on the athletic field. That's when it first started. Wow. 
100 so years ago. And it was in response to a lot of players that were dying? Just dying. Like, early college football was like Braveheart. Wow. Just just like Princeton and Harvard, like the, the children of the true elite uh, wealth, and the robber baron children were dying on the field because there were no rules, basically. It was just like rugby except more violent. And it was how they would prove their manhood to their robber baron parents, and they were dying. Yeah. And then the, some, uh, there was a president that had to step in, right? Yeah. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt stepped in and said this needs to happen. He did the birth of the nation. Oh, no, that was Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow who, Wilson. Uh, who, who played uh, Birth of a Nation in the White House. Okay. But, okay. but, but Theodore no, Roosevelt... Uh, I mean, Teddy did the... He was the Spanish-American War, right? Getting the yes. Empire he would walk softly and off. carry a big stick in Empire. Yeah, okay. muscular gotcha, Christianity. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. You know... Like uh, worship, you you show your love for Jesus by getting jacked and beating up others. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a wild scene, and it's amazing to me how it's transformed itself from being the sport of the elite to being a sport that you know really feeds on the dreams of, of poor and largely minority children in this country in terms of being able to accept some of these labor realities. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the elite, the elite, right. The elite at the, at the, at these universities, right. I mean, it's, it's tied to higher athletic, I mean, higher academics for sure. You know, it's amazing. Um, for sure. I mean, I mean, there is the, the, the whole Flutie effect, right. It is real. You know, when, when, when the football or basketball team does well, uh, there, there's more applications to the university that could be more strict with their admissions process. Um, everybody kind just of speaks to benefits. the question of value. Yeah, yeah. What do people value, right? You know, it's just bread and circuit. I don't know. That's the thing. A lot of people just see sports kind of as bread and circuits, but it is important, I think. People yeah, put a lot of work I think it's in an it. art. It's a total art. It's a cultural product. Sometimes I think the bread and circuses analysis is too dismissive because of the amount of effort and art that goes into it. And also it, it tends to turn people away from the importance of labor in the process. Like, oh, bread and circuses as if you're just a bunch of circus performers and not workers who deserve the respect and organization that workers everywhere should have the right to. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Instead of like, you know, and call it, I mean, in, in higher academics, like it all goes to the man, I mean, the managers essentially. I just know when Jim Delaney, head of the uh, Big Ten conference, when, when, he, when he gets a $20 million bonus at the end of the year, you know, I'm just looking at that like, okay, I know where some of the money's going to come from. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like the, the money is there and I see who's getting it and they're not exactly bleeding on the football field. Yes, and that, and that, you know, it's not just monetary value, right? Well, as you guys, I think you were brilliant about that during the campaign, about speaking about health care and having a democratic voice. Democracy, right? That, that's, that's what we all, how we all, that's what we love, right? Democracy, so. Um, yeah. It's hard to argue so, against. <laughs> it is, and yet somehow... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, paid enough. Yeah. You could get you could get a lawyer to argue about anything if you write the big enough check for him, yeah, uh, or yeah. president for that matter, yeah, um, <laughs> or a governor for that matter. Yeah. Uh, given the state you're in now, or the yeah, former governor. Yeah. And actually, I wanted to to get to that. Um, can you talk to folk? Can you talk to uh, our listeners about what it is that you're doing now? What is King Coulter doing in 2019? Sure, sure. Um, so in August, my, my re- most recent job, so in August, uh, I took a job as a political, political organizer with the American Federation of Teachers and mm-hmm. um, have been working with uh, educators. Um, AFT works with educators throughout the state of Wisconsin, but I've been based in Madison um, working with the um, – a few of our different locals. Uh, one is the 
graduate student workers at the university, UW-Madison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're the oldest. Uh, they were the, the first graduate student union for, for them to get recognized as employees. So uh, that's kind of a, a, a big deal out here. Uh, also, the uh, faculty and academic staff at the university, um, uh, K-12, through McFarland, uh, out here, a, a few other d- different locals, but um, I've been doing a lot of, you know, work with political organizing, helping them um, kind of implement their plans for the midterm elections, and, uh, you know, we had, we had a pretty successful outcome. We weren't able to flip any of the chambers of the legislature, but we were able to take back the you know, executive branch uh, administrative roles. There, there's been a big deal right now, though, you know, the, the legislature's basically been Republican dominated legislature trying to you know strip the executive branch of, of its power through these lame duck bills. So um, that's been a big deal. But um, yeah, the, the, the teachers unions are out here fighting and, uh, you know, workers in general are out here fighting. And I, I think obviously the, the, the political aspect is, is a huge part of all this. Um, I think in, in 2010, you know, when Scott or 2011, huh? When when Scott Walker packed, passed Act yeah. Ten, yeah. I was out there in I was out there in Madison. That was it was a wild scene. It was wild. It was wild. Yeah, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people occupying the Capitol. I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah. At the same time as the Arab Spring and and all this other stuff, yep. it's like oh my gosh, I can't even imagine from what, Egypt, what that have been like. People from Egypt were sending us pizzas. Pizzas, yes. Oh my gosh. How it's, cool it's is wild. that? It's We're getting wild. pizzas, and they're like, "Yeah, this was paid for out of Cairo." <laughs> for real, it was wild. Imagine that, yeah. Imagine that. I mean, international I, solidarity. I, mean, I, I wasn't here at the time, but I mean, it was definitely inspiring. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, to see that they haven't, you know, given up hope, and that you know, they're still making progress. People are still organizing and fighting. And... Has the strike of the LA teachers come up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we so we had a a meeting at one of the tech colleges, and uh, everybody's where they were wearing their red red shirts and in, in mm-hmm. solidarity with the LA with the LA strike. Obviously, I, I think the Chicago Teachers Union they just had the first strike uh, at a charter school. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, they, they've been doing some awesome work throughout the country. Obviously. You know, people people pay attention to all this stuff and and then see that you know collective action is the way to to make change quickly, and you know that's probably ultimately where the the power lies, right? <laughs> withholding right. withholding your labor, but uh, yeah, we we didn't bring that up necessarily. I mean, in our in our effort, you know, we're just trying to get there first to to you know be be recognized as employees, but. You know, we're we're definitely in support of all the workers. So just to be clear, um, if someone like you are now, Kane Coulter is a labor organizer, and if someone asked, how did Kane Coulter go from having an internship at Goldman Sachs to becoming a labor organizer, the short answer would be through the experience of attempting to organize a football team. No, I mean. Yeah, I mean, but it would also be educators, you know. Educators are super important, right? Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say, yeah, what what was the causal thing that led me down this path? I don't know. Uh, yeah, partly just my experience and, and family and growing up with that, but also, you know, I guess just being in the right place, right time, right class, right, you know, professor, um, right curriculum. <laughs> I don't know. Have you been approached a bunch by by the union about doing like public speaking, about speaking about your history as a way to rally teachers and organize? I mean, do, do they realize you've got this wealth of experience that you could bring to a a public setting? No, I try I try not to talk about it that much, um, especially you know people are upset. Like, why is a football coach or basketball coach making? four million dollars mm-hmm. and meanwhile you know in in wisconsin we're you know they're, they're shutting down uh you know all these you know different majors at all these colleges in the uw system they can't can't find the money to pay for the you know majors in the humanities but they can you know find a way to pay the coach four million dollars a year so but don't you think that would make you a uniquely powerful voice to speak out against the way the system is set up um 
because of your lived experience. You, you just seem very humble about wh- what you've been through when it was so iconic and important for so many of us who do this work. Like I told people I was interviewing Kane Coulter and people were like, Kane Coulter, Kane Coulter. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It sounds so corny, but no, no, no. It's a, it's about the, uh, it's about collective action, right? It's not any, any one person's work. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in some ways, like there are going to be spokespeople, and I had to play that role for a while. Um, and you know. I, and, and in some ways, I don't think I am the best spokesperson. You know, I shouldn't be the the spokesperson for, you know, college athletes mm-hmm. trying to organize forever. It's all about collective action. You know, if if people want, they just, they just need to organize, come together as as workers. You know, but that's you know that's tough, right? Getting getting the workers to come together. That's definitely what right? it's going to take. As a historian, I'm sure you know. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm looking at uh, what's happening. I live in D.C. and looking what's happening with the federal workers being locked out, and just wanting I want TSA to strike so badly right now. Oh my gosh! It, well, yeah, that would be mayhem, right? Mm-hmm. Those workers. <laughs> oh my gosh! I can't even imagine. It would end the air travel for, <laughs> for the United States, and it would cause. Um, this to be settled in about half a second yeah. and it's Air Force it's, it's one the same thing fine, you were, but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and you wonder sometimes if, if uh, this president cares beyond the confines of Air Force One which is a uh, question altogether yeah but but taking down Scott Walker that must have was what's more exciting to you like winning a football game or seeing Scott Walker go down that's the thing yeah, yeah I mean like I guess the <laughs> That's a really tough question, <laughs> and it sounds so selfish, but it's like you know I feel like in in a way I had more of a a role like winning the football game. <laughs> I mean, we all have our sphere, our sphere of influence to try and affect these elections, and we all try to do our job to to try and you know organize around those those you know important causes, right? And and have our influence in democracy, but like, you know, playing in a football game, <laughs> hundred thousand people, millions of people viewing, who knows how many people bet on the game. It's like, you know, you, you feel like you actually have some sort of, you know, you have a bigger, I guess, you have more control in in that, in that case, I guess. So, you know, depending on the game, how big it was, you know, I, I don't know. Those are just experiences that will probably live with me for the rest of my life. You know, I'm going to value it. There's nothing I'm going to do in, in life that's going to uh, quite be like that, 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 that time in my life. I don't know if you get 2011 2.0, a mass occupation of the of the capital, that could perhaps rival that feeling in its own way. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I wish I would have have been there at that time. Because I, I, I can be honest with you, I never made it beyond the high school sports level, and some of those experiences still sort of make me shudder with excitement when I think back. But being there in Madison in 2011 and getting pizzas from Cairo, and you know, hearing people like I still have video that I've never erased of people chanting inside the the people's house, and it, it was. It was unbelievable. Yeah, these these, these revolutionary acts, you know, coinciding. It, it, it's pretty amazing. Uh, pretty amazing time to live in. But, yeah, I, I mean, we live in amazing times today, right? It's really interesting. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to make of it all the time. I think I'm just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all, we're all searching for, the, for answers, I think. <clears throat> Well, I, I'm glad you're on the side of the teachers um, as the husband of someone who's an AFT uh, really? local okay. Washington teachers nice. union here in D.C. Okay. Very glad you're on her side. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Absolutely. Washington Teachers Union. So very glad that you are on her side. Very glad that you are on the side of the people. Very glad that this is where your life is. I think that's just like the coolest thing in the world. That, you know, it's like, where are they now? Kane Coulter. Kane Coulter's still doing the work. 
So thank you so much for that. Exactly. It doesn't stop. It's, it doesn't stop. Yeah. You know, power Very to the cool people. Got to be with the workers, you know? Yeah. I think that, that, that and yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably where I think that a lot of the effort needs to be focused. Um, and I, and I got a, um, one last thing I asked you. Internationally, so, right? International oh, yeah. solidarity with the workers. Yeah. International solidarity. If the, we got to do some international sports solidarity, I'm not sure what that would look like. But I mean, you started to see a little bit of that with soccer players taking a knee in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's a small world; it really is. Yeah, yep. at that Instagram. <laughs> that is true. Social media. I mean, yeah. Let I mean, in podcasts. I mean, the stuff that you're doing uh, is amazing, and I think that. Um, that I mean, I, I've been such a big fan of of, of <laughs> your your views in, in in sports commentary and and you know the intersectionality with with politics. That it, it's a breath of fresh air. A lot of people just kind of want to throw it out and, and say you know sports don't matter. Sports you know they're just bread and circuses, but. Um, you know, for somebody that's, you know, for, for me, it's, it's been such a big part of my family's life and, and our experience. And, um, and obviously, you know, with the country, right, you can't separate it. So just seeing people value that, but, but come out of, you know, from, you know, the, you know, what I view as the correct lens, you know, the, the, the left lens, you know, I, I really mm-hmm. appreciate it. Thank yeah. you so much. You know, something we ask everybody yeah. who comes on the podcast I have a feeling this will be a challenge for you, but we ask everybody, like, what kind of music you're listening to right now. Like, what is oh, the, what is the soundtrack of your daily life? What is the soundtrack of your work? Like, if you're oh, on your way, man. if you're on your way to do some, to organize some teachers, what what is what is booming in your car? Oh gosh, <laughs> I had a feeling when I asked you that you would do a lot of that. Like, oh man, oh gosh. I know it's a lot. I mean, I, I grew up on Tupac, and I always stay with Tupac. Mm. Um, listen to a lot of Tupac, but oh, I'm all over the place. A lot of Erica Badu, Tracy Chapman. Tracy Chapman is probably like, probably my favorite artist of all time. Damn, um, she's in folk music, but yeah, I mean, I know she, Tracy she is Chapman. awesome. Yes, yes. She she's amazing. I listen to her a lot. Damn. You ever listen to Sometimes I Rhyme Slow, Sometimes I Rhyme Quick by Nice and Smooth? Oh yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Where they take they take the fast car. For sure. Uh guitar. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, Lauren Hill, uh yeah, Erica Badu, all, I mean I mean, yeah, it's, I guess it's, it just depends on, you know, how you feeling that day, right? So See what's up. so cool is is now I know my producer, uh, he's smiling because he knows we're going to play a little bit of Fast Car as we go into commercial break, and then we'll also play Nice and Smooth. Sometimes I rhyme slow, sometimes I rhyme quick, and we'll just play them side by side. Oh, man, that would be perfect. That would be perfect. That would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Kay, K- I-, I hope this is the first of, of many discussions we can have. If you're ever working on anything that you want to discuss on the pod or that if you want to do an interview for the nation about it, please don't hesitate and let me know. All right, yeah, sounds good. I appreciate it. And if you ever want to do some public speaking, hit me up as well. And oh, man. if you ever want to write a book about your experiences going from Northwestern to teaching organizing, hit me up. One day, I mean, yeah. Maybe, maybe. I, I think it's, a a, book it's an here, interesting man. story. Yeah. Please take, 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 like, keep a journal, take some notes about what you're doing on the day to day. I mean, what do you think? Wait, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I would love to ask, I need to ask, be able to ask you some more questions about just Please, where you, go, go where for you, it. Th- ask me whatever you like. Yeah, where do you think, where do you see the, the future of, of college athletics? I mean, obviously the FBI is involved now. Um, mm-hmm. everything going on with, with Michigan state and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the player that died at Maryland and it's yep. board of regents. We covered that on the Car- podcast. Cause you know, we, we record right near the university of Maryland, very familiar with the case of, uh, of Jordan McNair. 
we um and then finding out that that's he's one of 17 NCAA football players to have died since the year 2000 in off-season drills which is a wild number wow that they wow. never talk about no and if that happened in the NFL you know there would be congressional hearings if that many players had yeah. died since 2000 I, I the f- future lies in NCAA athletes developing their own union for the revenue producing sports um i think it lies in them being um, treated like the employees that they are, and it's going to require struggle. And I think the ground that you laid, the ground that the athletes at both Grambling and the University of Missouri have laid, I think this is the sort of thing that's going to resonate with the new generation of athletes who are going to refuse to be treated like this. That's what I think. I agree. I agree. I think that you know they they definitely have power in ways i mean it's you know they have they have cultural capital i guess right with their with their platform and being at these institutions of higher learning you know millions of people tuning into the games you know they they have a lot of power so i i hope you know at some point they could all get together organize right you, you know utilize it and, and and use it to make some changes also be talking to the other workers right they need to come together with the graduate students at the university with faculty and academic staff hopefully um, you know, yeah. there's this big antitrust case going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's making its way through the courts and it's basically challenging this whole cap on compensation, right? Um, for, for, you know, all the, the NCAA, which is obviously, you know, organization of all the, the institutions they are getting together and basically saying, you, you know, you mm-hmm. college athletes you, in football and men's basketball, particularly, you're not entitled to you know the, the the free market right the fair market and so they're all coming together and saying you could only get an athletic scholarship which which had historically been capped below the school's cost of attendance and now they're challenging and now they're challenging that so it's like i think we all know at this point in time like these athletes have value and that they've been trying to hide this value by you know creating this you know black market system and uh you know now the fbi is involved and um you know ultimately you know if if they win this case right and and college athletes are allowed to get their their fair market value you know that you know that's what people want to jump to right you know should they be getting these huge salaries like they like they do in the nfl right Uh, are you going to have undergrad um entertainers at these institutions of higher learning being paid more than the academic staff and, and faculty at the university. Uh, you know, what's going to happen with title nine, what's going to happen with all these, these big questions. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I don't either. I, I think though, people like yourself who go from college athletics into the organizing space are going to, I mean, potentially could be a bridge though, between these communities yeah, I, I I don't know. You know, I know coaches keep things under lock and key with the players in terms of being able to speak to people who are organizers. But if there's a way to get in there, I think your voice would be uniquely suited to being able to communicate with them. That's true. That's true. And I I, I think that that's when I look back on it, I I think that. That's there's a few things I wish we would have been able to do differently. Uh, one is that you know we were, we were making the case that college football players at Northwestern are employees, and we weren't successful in making that. Mm-hmm. But we shouldn't. I mean, we we had to pick the the right test case, right? And obviously, I was on the football team, and and that's the I guess the organizing unit that we wanted to to, to target at first, but. Um, you know, I, I think all college athletes, you know, especially, um, you know, the, the women athletes in, in college sports, they are employees as well. I think that that, that case is, is very strong. You know, they're, the three things that we had to prove was, do they sign a contract for hire? Are they under the control of some sort of like supervisor of the coach? And is there some sort of like, you know, pay or, you know, remuneration, whatever, in some ways. And I think that, you know, that, that case could be probably proven with the, the female athletes as well. So, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, they should all be covered by labor law. And, and you know, I think that that could kind of help address some of these issues in college sports, not all of them, 
you know, but you know, we'll see. Ultimately, what, what you know, what we want to do with with college sports in this country, I, I don't know, but uh, it is a huge business, uh, definitely. I, I don't think it's hard for people to deny that. You know, when you have Kendrick Lamar and and Little Wayne, you know, performing at the halftime show of uh, you know this amateur, you know, sport, sporting event for academics. Oh, you didn't you didn't hear though. They didn't get paid for that though. All they got was the ability to audit a class at the University of Alabama. Really, yeah, really? I'm just oh man. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so crazy. And it, I mean, whatever. I mean, it, I think that I think the the halftime show went longer than the the first half, right? That's where we're at. And we're mm-hmm. still arguing about amateurism. Um, it, it, it's so ridiculous, but I don't know what to say about it anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yo, Kane Coulter, man, you, you gave much more of your time than I asked for. I really do appreciate that. Oh, man, no, no. I, I appreciate you allowing me to be on the podcast. And, um, yeah, I, I'd love to stay in touch and, um, definitely want to stay in touch and definitely want you to think like you could, I could totally see you writing like a handbook for college athletes. About oh, man. Well, for their rights. Well, I, need, I would need you know, tons of help, including yours and, and, and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. all these people have been, you know, I mean, look, you know, it, it wasn't, again, it, it had nothing to do with, with me. I was kind of in the right place at the right time, but you know, collective action, right. I think is, is ultimately what's going to fix this thing. And, um, I don't know, you know, it, <clears throat> I just ended up kind of being the spokesperson with what was going on at Northwestern, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, this could be a solution, one solution, to, you know, college athletics, you know, union organizing and workers coming together. Uh, that, that, that is mm-hmm. one solution, one, one ideal solution in my eyes. Yeah. All right, man. Well, um, let's stay in touch. And just get let the book ideas sort of float around your head a little bit, like a one hundred page book. Just let it let it you know simmer there for a minute. All right, Think yeah, about yeah. What you'd say okay, okay. Just just let it simmer and let's right. stay in touch. I've got a I've got a publishing imprint um, in New York that does sports and politics books. Okay. I think this would really connect. So just okay. you know, I'm definitely have to be definitely this month. doesn't even yeah. have to be this year. Okay. But give give it some thought, please. All right. All right. Well, I, I appreciate the, the invite to be on the podcast. I'm a huge fan. Um, I'm super nervous. This is my first podcast, though. So, um, <laughs> you did great. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You, you'll, you'll be happy with the final result. Oh, man. Perfect. Perfect. All right, King Coulter, thanks so much for joining us on the Edge of Sports Podcast. All right. I appreciate it. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car, speed so fast, I felt like I was drunk. City lights day out before us And your arm felt nice wrapped round my shoulder And I, I had a feeling that I belonged I, I had a feeling I could be someone, be someone Sometimes I rhyme slow, sometimes I rhyme quick Quick, quick, quick Sometimes I rhyme slow, sometimes I rhyme quick Quick Sometimes I rhyme slower, sometimes I rhyme quick. I'm sweeter and thicker than a chico stick. Here's an ice cream cone, honey, take the lick. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now, I've got some choice words about this year's Super Bowl halftime show. Okay, look, a symbolic picket line has developed around this year's halftime show in Atlanta in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick. Bam. Kaepernick, of course, has no home in the NFL because he kneeled during the anthem to protest police violence back in 2016, and now a host of top performers are making it clear that they have his back. 
First it was Galactic Superstar Rihanna, then it was Cardi B, and since then, Lauren Hill, Usher, Pink, Nicki Minaj, and Andre 3000 have also reportedly said thanks, but no thanks. At the moment, the halftime performers are the pop group Maroon 5 and hip-hop artists Travis Scott and Big Boy. Big Boy, for those of you who don't know, is one half of Atlanta's legendary musical duo Outkast. His inclusion is notable given that his ATLian partner Andre 3000 reportedly, as I mentioned, just said no. Now, of the three, Maroon 5, Big Boy, and Travis Scott, the most pressure has been levied upon Scott, a 26-year-old platinum performer from Houston, Texas. Travis Scott even met with Kaepernick to discuss why he was choosing to cross this artistic picket line. That meeting generated a great deal of social media rancor. As Scott's camp said that while the conversation was contentious, the two left the meeting, quote, with mutual respect and understanding, with the rapper taking the stance that everyone makes a statement in their own way. Kaepernick's camp has disputed this severely, with Kaepernick's partner, television and radio host Nessa Diab tweeting, there is no mutual respect, there is no understanding for anyone working against Kaepernick, period. Stop lying. Can't get much clearer than that. The issue is bigger than just Travis Scott's decision to perform. Scott is saying that he is making a statement in his own way, quote-unquote, by taking $500,000 from the NFL and giving it to Dream Corps, a social justice organization founded by Van Jones. If Scott didn't realize that this would aggravate Kaepernick, someone in his inner circle wasn't doing their job, unless he was giving to Dream Corps purposely to aggravate Kaepernick because Dream Corps is seen as an organization that was used by the NFL to sideline player protests in 2016. Dream Corps put itself forward as a group that NFL owners could make monetary donations toward if, according to the belief of Kaepernick's camp, players stopped kneeling during the anthem. Kaepernick retweeted that connection, sending out to his 2 million-plus subscribers $500,000 to Dream Corps for Travis Scott to strike a deal and walk past the Cardi B, Rihanna, others protest line. In 2016, the NFL also committed cash to Dream Corps in the Players Coalition deal brokered by Malcolm Jenkins. Dream Corps now in two NFL hashtag paid to not protest schemes. There's a lot to unpack here. On one level, it feels manifestly unfair that the weight of this is being put on the shoulders of Travis Scott and not the headliners Maroon 5. Why aren't the pop rockers being asked the same questions? Do you support Kaepernick's stance? Are you somehow aiding in the collusion perpetrated by NFL owners by playing this show? Do you see yourself as crossing a picket line? They should absolutely have to deal with the same pressure and the same questions. Obviously, they don't because they are considered to be a white band. The only member of Maroon 5 that I've seen pressed about this wasn't their high-profile lead singer Adam Levine, but their keyboardist PJ Morton, who is black, who said that there was conflict for sure about whether to perform. This is practically parody. Levine gets a pass, but the heat is turned up on PJ Morton. Now, back to Travis Scott. Given the pressure being levied upon him, there is a question about whether he will attempt to save face by using the halftime platform to make some kind of political statement. The game, as mentioned, will be in Atlanta, the mecca of black culture, the birthplace of Dr. King, and the site of the governor's race that smacked of right-wing suppression of the black vote. Maybe Scott will wear a Kaepernick jersey, or maybe the blood is too toxic between their respective camps. Either way, it will be fascinating to see whether the announcers, fans, or artists recognize the fact that this is the first Super Bowl halftime show to ever be surrounded by an artistic picket line. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey everybody out there, this is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People gotta know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubblegum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it, but we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. 
And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award this week gets a short one, but it's near and dear to my heart. It's Utah Jazz all-world backcourt wing Donovan Mitchell, who sent out a very simple tweet this past week where he just said, Pay the teachers, man! In all caps. In a shout of solidarity to the Los Angeles teachers, all 30,000 of them who are holding down a strike in the city of Angels. So shout out to Donovan Mitchell for just standing up for the L.A. teachers and saying those words, pay the teachers, man. Thank you, Donovan Mitchell. Thank you, Spider. The Just Sit Down Award is our first back-to-back winner ever of the Just Sit Down Award. Very happy about this. His name is John Angler. He is the former president over at Michigan State, and his ass was sat down this past week. He was hired in the aftermath of the Larry Nassar sexual abuse scandal, and now he has been fired. And Lily Jackson from the Chronicle of Higher Education, she listed the three moments that led to Angler's ouster. And it really is quite remarkable. He's the former governor of Michigan, and he's brought in to help turn the university around after this horrific scandal. And instead, he makes everything worse and barely lasts uh, a smidge. So check this out. These are the three uh, moments, according to Lily Jackson. Check this out. One, within a few months of taking office, Angler was accused of offering a cash payoff to a survivor. Gee, that's a good look. Two, Angler's emails revealed he claimed an abuse victim was probably getting paid for the quote-unquote manipulation of other survivors. Gee, that's a good look. And number three, Angler said that sexual abuse survivors were quote-unquote enjoying the spotlight. Wow, what a smooth political operator hired by Michigan State. So last week we said to John Angler, sit your ass down. This week we say, John Angler, you got your ass sat. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. As far as Kaepernick Watch, which we always do, just the choice words um, encompassed all of that. Uh, Big shout out to everybody listening to the pod. Big shout out to the huge response we got last week from the Chuck Modiano show. We'll have Chuck on again soon. People seem to really love him to speak about uh, the intersection of sports and politics. We'll get you back on, Modi. Promise you that. Promise our listeners that because they were like, oh, that show was fire. And not like the fire festival, but like actual fire. Uh, for everybody out there listening, for my producer, please, 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 if you like the show, tell a friend. Please, if you like the show, uh, write a review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Please support however you can at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. And please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.